Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Tell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Kelly Corrigan. She is a four-time New York Times bestselling author. She is the host of PBS's long-form interview show, Tell Me More, and the podcast Kelly Corrigan Wonders, which just crossed 13 million downloads. O Magazine calls Kelly the voice of a generation, and Huffington Post says Kelly is our poet laureate of the ordinary. I am so excited to be talking to Kelly today about some of the lessons she's learned along the way from parenthood. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. Hey, Amy. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be talking to you, and I'm wondering, as I was preparing for this interview, what it's like, because I admire your interview skills so much, and I wonder, like, what's it like for an interviewer to be interviewed do you approach this with trepidation it's relaxing okay i mean you're doing all the work (laughs) so i'm very empathetic to what's happening in your mind because you're listening and you're connecting and you're also wondering how much longer on this topic before i should bump to the next question and maybe i should drop that whole section and just go all the way to that question i had that i thought i would ask at the very end and like the multitasking that happens in the mind of the interviewer is kind of miraculous. It's not unlike I taught for a summer at Yale at your alma mater where you knew my husband. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was the most exhausting intellectual exercise of my life because I was tracking so many inputs second by second, like that girl over there in the third row just pulled her phone out and that guy's looking out the window and this person's raising their hand for the fourth time, which is probably irritating the whole rest of the class, which is going to make them not tune in. Should I repeat it using different words? Should I try a new example? Who's with me? How many people? Should I take a break? Is the room too hot? Should I open a window? Like if you're doing it with great conscientiousness, you, it is the most exhausting amount of tracking. And that's what I sort of compare interviewing to, which is that you are at once your normal self who loves conversation and likes to meet new people and has tons of curiosity about whatever subjects the person might be fluent in. And also you're managing this improv that we're doing. Mm -hmm. But what you're so good at in your own interviews, I mean, you make it seem very organic and I think that it is, but you're very interested in the thing behind the thing. And do you have a method of getting there or do you think it's just really active listening? 
I think it, the thing I would flag is just like, let it breathe. So there's a beginner's mistake, I think, where you're kind of rushing through your questions and you're trying to cover a lot of surface area and it won't be nearly as interesting as it would be if you went another question deeper and then another on top of that. And then another on top of that, you know, I'm sort of a fan of tell me more what else go on in all facets of my life. Like I love saying that to my kids. I like saying it to Edward, my husband, I like saying it on the air because I feel like there's an arrogance that we all practice when we too quickly understand one another. And I think everybody listening probably can recognize this in their own lives with their own children, which is your kid comes home and says, you know, what's for dinner? And they're in a terrible mood. And you think, oh, they're hungry. And it's like, "Mm, probably not. Probably that's like a safer place to start is like, yeah, I have this superficial need for some pita and hummus, but really I'm in a bad mood for something much different. And if you want to know, you're going to have to ask like three to seven questions to get there, which is like, uh, how was your day? How'd that desk go? What are you guys doing this weekend? And then you find out, oh, like somebody's having a very small party and you haven't been invited. And you don't understand why that is because you had invited that person to your small party two weeks ago and you had the best time and they ended up sleeping over. And so it's not even just that they didn't get invited. It's that they're confused. The emotion isn't rejection. It's confusion. It's like, I thought we had a friendship and now I feel like we don't. And I don't understand why that is, but that's like, you know, seven questions in that's not the sort of quick take, you know, your sort of single flash assessment of what's really going on with them. Like, assume you don't know, assume you're wrong. Or yeah. Oh, they'll tell you you're wrong. Like, I feel like I've been in that position that uh, you say to your the same kid, right? Like, oh, and there's a party and oh, and you have that problem with Samantha. No, I don't. I don't have a problem with Samantha. They, if you rush too quickly to circle the oh, and here's what's really going on. I feel like my kids are very happy to tell me that. I think you're lucky that your kids will tell you that you're wrong. I think the worst outcome is that they sort of pretend to listen to you and they give you this cheap satisfaction of knowing the answer and coming up with a great response and then they walk away and think she has no idea. Like that <laughs> right. that's really the danger. Just get me out of this conversation. Right. I'm so sick of listening to her like solve every problem so easily. And I I'm just not even worth talking to her about it because she doesn't get it. So your book, Tell Me More, talks about that as one of the things you have to get better at having to say in order to be in intimate relationship and in true relationship with somebody, with the people you care about. And the other thing that you talk about in that book that really spoke to me is just saying I know is a full response to when your kid really does come to you and sort of unload something difficult that you don't have to get into how. Yeah, I think it's the most lovely response. I had this friend in Piedmont where I used to live right near Oakland, California, and that's where we raised our kids. And I walked with this woman, Arielle, once a week, and she is a therapist and she knows a lot of things. I mean, I learned so much from her over the 10 years that we walked together. But the thing she did that I was so grateful for is that I would unload something on her. And instead of using her expertise, which was vast in the subject matter, she would say, I know, like she would flip from a professional who spends all week talking to young people and has all that corollary insight 
she would flip to the parent who's like, yeah, I know. I never know what to do then either. And that's so aligning, you know, then you're just right there next to each other, climbing the same mountain instead of somebody way at the top, like with their little fancy bullhorn being like, come on up. Yep. Great. It's just, it's only a mile away, which, you know, is not, it's interesting, but it's not company. I feel like I'm getting better at that as I get older or maybe just more experienced living is the sitting in uncertainty and letting something not have an easy solution, particularly when it's your kids, I guess, bringing it to you. Like, that sounds hard. Full stop. Long pause. Right? I mean, my other friend, Tracy Tuttle, who's my college roommate who five years ago maybe became a therapist after having a successful business with her mom for 30 years. She says that really like 95% of every situation that's brought to her from a parent's perspective, the answer is the same, which is that sounds really hard. I know you're going to figure it out. Now, if I said that to my kids when they were like weeping with some problem, I think they might want to like give me the flip me the bird. Like it'd be like, what? Like, thanks. Thanks a lot. Like, I think it's a lonely making feeling. And it also might sound like you're, you're kind of like wrapping up, kind of done with this one. Like, let's not ruminate too much together. You know, I'm ready to move on. So I think it has to, the timing of it is something to be carefully considered, which is to say, like, I would put the tell me more what else go on ahead of that. And then when they're really finished, like putting the whole thing out on the table, all the considerations and circumstantial elements and all the characters in the story and, you know, like putting the whole case in front of you, that's then and only then could you say that sounds really hard because then and only then do you know that it sounds really hard. Otherwise, it's cheap. It's a lie. It's like, I don't really know it's hard. But like, I heard on some podcasts that some lady said, all you have to say is that sounds really hard. I bet you'll figure it out. You know, while scrolling Instagram. Right. <laughs> right. So you really have to believe it. Exactly. Yeah. You saw it in like a little post. And now that's what you're trying today. I mean, my kids are see, see through me so much. They Like I'll say something that feels more carefully phrased than my usual parlance. And they will say, oh, my God, are you reading a new book? You know, because it's like you're trying something on me. You know, like I don't want to be your guinea pig. Yeah. I have a kid who tells me I have a pretending to listen face. This is just my listening face. No, it's your pretending to listen face. And I brought this to Lisa Damore. And she, to my chagrin, her response wasn't like, well, that's how kids are. She was like, well, you probably do have a pretending to listen face. And you should really think about that, which is not what I wanted to hear. But she was right. Right. And you've been busted. I was busted. And that our kids have really high BS detectors. And of course, they want us to be wrong about stuff so that they can individuate. But but it yeah, it makes it hard to give them what they want in the moment and to read it. Yeah. And you're just not going to. It's like baseball. Like if you get a mm. 500 batting average, like that's great. Like you're just a person. It's not, it's not like we become a mother and then you have like doubled your interpersonal skills and you have twice the patience like that's naturally comes flooding into you. Like you're just another Joe Schmo trying to do a good job. And half the time you might not be really listening, you know, because you have a life too and you have other things on your mind and you're trying to create your own circumstances and work through your own list of worries. And I think looking back, a thing I would say to younger mothers is don't take it quite so seriously all the way around. 
don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take them so seriously. Don't take the circumstances so seriously. Like a lot of things resolve and there's a lot of elements at play that are well beyond you and what you're saying while you're cutting their apple. You know, like you're not, there is like a humility that could service young mothers, which is, you know, like you're forever waning in your influence, like day by day, like that's the trajectory that you're on. And the peer influence is getting stronger and stronger and yours is getting weaker and weaker. And that's just an immutable fact. So you might as well relax a little bit in your heart that if you kids come out of their childhood with you and think like my mom was a good listener, that that would be like an A plus. Yeah. That that would be like enough. I think sometimes it's hard because we feel like we have to fix things. We were just answering a listener question about like my one-year-old, my two-year-old don't share and they're fighting all the time on what should I do? And I think the real answer is one-year-olds and two-year-olds can't share yet. They can't. And I think where you can get stuck when you're in it is, so I have to correct this. I have to fix this, right? I'll have 20-year-olds who don't know how to share if I don't address this in the moment instead of just, this won't still be a thing in five years. But that's not enough of an answer when you have a one-year-old and a two-year-old who are, you know, scratching each other all the time. But the answer might be, have patience and figure something out for the next six months. That doesn't involve you're correcting it. It's going to just change. Yeah, like context is a powerful force in all of our lives. And the world is loud. So your two-year-old is going to be in preschool eventually, and then they're going to be in kindergarten. And there's going to be a whole set of forces at work where there's going to be natural feedback loops about those very things. And so there's just a lot that we put on our plate that might not really be entirely ours to solve. Like I just read this incredible book by Alison Gopnik. Do you know her at UC Berkeley? Yeah. So she's a developmental psychologist. She's brilliant. And she wrote a book called The Carpenter and the Gardener. And you can almost infer what it's about from the title. So either you're like making children or you're watching them grow. And of course, the her advice is watch them grow. Like, first of all, you can't make them anyway. You, you can't like build them like a house. So it, it won't work. It's, but also it is not to their benefit. It's disrespectful of their awesome individuality almost, you know? Like it's, you're missing it. You're missing the opportunity to like watch something come up from the ground and become its full, the full expression of itself. And I think it's so easy to worry to death that something you see now is it portends a future where they can't share, they can't love other people or they can't be in relationship. And I totally did it. And I really, really overshot it. Like there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and only a couple of them are the parents. And I just kind of think that like 90% of the time it, it straightens itself out. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. I mean, you know, yeah, it's a long game, but yeah, we'll be right back with more of my conversation with Kelly Corrigan. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. I write journals all the time. And if you read my journals from when my kids were one and two and three, like the, the things that we expected of them were just ridiculous, ridiculous. And it, it was constant. And my like deep consternation and fear was just really to the point of absurdity. Fear that what, that you needed to get them on the right path? Like if they didn't say thank you now, they were never going to say thank you. They were ungrateful. They were spoiled, you know, or if they didn't want to go to practice of some kind that they weren't a good teammate or they were lazy or they had like a bad work ethic. I mean, I don't know what, I mean, I guess my only explanation, I, I have no defense, but my explanation is I took the work seriously. You know, I took them seriously and I, and I wanted to, give them a great childhood. And I wanted to set them up for a great life. And so I have, like most people, very strong opinions about what the component pieces of a great life are. And for sure, like gratitude is one of them. And for sure, like being a great member of any team you find yourself on is one of them. And so when those baby steps started to reveal themselves and it wasn't matching this critical life skill that I felt like was make or break for their long-term happiness. I took it really seriously. But then what you learn over time is that it's coming. It's coming. They're figuring it out. They're observing it in the world. They're seeing how the social dynamics work. They're seeing who coaches like. They're seeing who gets rewarded They're seeing who smiles when someone's talking to them. They're seeing 
coaches roll their eyes when a kid is late or when a kid doesn't have their cleats on. Like there's so many cues that don't need to come from you that will teach them the the larger set of values that make a society work and that make the lives of people in that society more or less enjoyable and connected. We try on this podcast to give some of that perspective in a lot of our episodes because Margaret's kids are in junior high and high school and I have two kids out of the house and just one more left at home. And you've written a lot in recent years about the empty nest and the emptying nest and what that's like and life on the other side. And I feel like the first thing I always want to offer to people is that it's it's not all bad and that it can, it will, of course, transform your relationships with those young adult children, but it's not always for the worse that you're not involved in their daily lives and their daily decisions anymore. How did that change for you in ways good and bad? Okay, so I just cried so much. I cried so much. Like, I'm really not projecting like my my best self in this podcast conversation, but I am being completely transparent. Like I cried a lot. I cried in anticipation. And then I cried like on those days, on those two days that I dropped those kids off, I cried. I mean, Edward, my husband said, you're crying as much as when your dad died. And I was like, I know. And that's what it feels like to me. It feels like this very clear ending of this part of my life that I really looked forward to. Like I wasn't a young person who couldn't wait to work. Although it turns out that I like love work and I want to work for a really long time. And I love all these projects that I got my hands in and I hope to do many, many more. And, but the fact is what I looked forward to was having a family in a house all together. And when it ended, I was poignantly aware of it. Now I'm a person who also like, I cried a lot at college graduation and high school graduation. Cause I knew as the youngest of three, I knew that life changes a lot and these days will not come again. And so it was partly just feeling my good fortune at having had an experience that I didn't want to end. And, you know, I'm just, that's just sort of my nature. Like I don't, I don't have a stiff upper <laughs> lip. And maybe you don't need to. I, I don't care. I've accepted this part of myself. It's fine. I thought, I think it's really something actually to be conscientious about. And it's of a piece of the whole motherhood project, which is how to position yourself relative to your children and their daily lives. Like, do you want to be a leader? Do you want to be an advisor? Do you want to be an observer? Do you want to be a consumer? Like, do you want to kind of just watch? And that the answer to that question, like, where are you relative to your kids' lives? Are you out front telling them what to do? Are you behind them telling them they can do it? Are you to the side? You know, like I kind of like the potted plant theory where you, a kid can look over and see that you're there or the, I think Lisa Demore calls it the side of the pool, which is like you swim anywhere you want. And I'm just the edge of the pool. If you need to come over and catch your breath, here I am, but otherwise go for it. And with college, like it's weird because they're the kids themselves are in these relationships with all their new buddies and all those buddies have different ways of interacting with their parents. So Claire, when she went to Virginia became good friends with people who talked to their moms every single day. And you know, that's perfectly fine thing to do. If that's your jam, that wasn't how we worked. And I wondered sometimes does the, do I look uninvolved by comparison? 
to your kid. Does your kid think you're not sufficiently involved, you mean? Or like who's checking that? Yeah, exactly. Like I wondered if Claire was like, huh, like why don't my mom and I talk every day? And then there's all kinds of comparisons. It's like some people give their kids money in college, like an allowance. And of course, those allowances vary widely. Some parents think their kids should work while they're in college. Some parents are paying for college. Some parents are using financial aid. Some kids are, you know, accumulating that horrible debt that we read about. So it's just interesting because you are definitely, and I I vividly remember this. I remember being in college and looking at my parents differently every time I got to know another friend and how their family operated. It was like, oh, really? Like, that's a thing? Like, you guys have family dinner every Sunday with all your cousins? That sounds awesome. I wish we did that. Or you guys go to a lake house for two months every summer and just hang out together and play cards and there's not really other people there. Like, wow, that must be incredible. And then a lot of other things like, oh, wow, your parents are divorced and both your parents are remarried and they don't talk to each other. And, you know, like all sorts of exposure that's new and probably much deeper. You know, people are sharing way more in college. They just have so much face time with one another. They're not coming home at the end of the day. They're sitting in bed around dorm in dorm rooms, really letting it out. So that was sort of an interesting thing to have enter into our relationship, which is partly how a kid develops their own values independent from the values of their parents is that it's a time to reconsider like what is the received version of like, this is how a family works. And then what would you like your version to be? I remember being in college and having that experience of like, well, you do this and you do that. I would go on tour with my comedy group during college breaks, which was mostly just staying in various people's houses and performing at their old schools. But anyway, what a window into how different people lived. When you're a kid, you just think the way your house is, is the way family life is, right? And so- I mean, it's that great experience when you go abroad and you're like, you guys eat dinner at 10 o'clock at night? Like, what are you talking about? This is insane. And it's like, oh, duh. That your way of doing things is but one way of doing things, right? But I had never really thought about, I mean, I suppose I have done it, but never really thought about it. Looking back, like, am I calling too much? Am I not calling enough? Am I presenting to my kid when he starts to consider, huh, this is how my family life is? When he's looking back at us, is he happy with what he sees? Does he wish it was different? And again, I guess you can't, there is no kid that would look back and be like, my way of doing things or my parents' way of doing things was perfect in every way. That's not going to happen. And of course, like the evaluation is ongoing and ever changing because like a, 18-year-old doesn't really understand money. They don't know how much sacrifice there is in putting a kid through college. They don't know about paying taxes. They don't know how much money you lose every April. And so, you know, they may think like, I can't believe my parents are so cheap. They don't give me anything for allowance. And then, you know, when they're 25 and paying taxes, they might think, oh, I guess, I guess there wouldn't be that much left. And then when they're 35 and they're raising their own kids and they're trying to put money into these 529s so that somebody later can go to college without having too much debt, then they really reevaluate. So it's like, I know that from my own experience with my mom and most people do, which is she looks different to me. Every day I get older, she looks different to me. And honestly, better. Like I was a teenager who thought my mom was too strict 
and was like ruining my life. Like I wasn't allowed to go to parties where the parents weren't home. She would like call people's parents to see if they were home while I was at school and then like ruin the whole party. And everyone knew that Mrs. Corrigan, you know, called the Sheehan's and found out that they're going to be in Florida that weekend. And now the party's off. And, you know, I like I wanted guest jeans, like I wanted another breath of life. And I could not sell her on that project. And dot, dot, dot. Like I wasn't allowed to blow dry my hair before school because school was not a fashion show. School was to learn. So I have naturally curly hair and I would use these silver clips to try to fix my bangs, which I was constantly cutting myself. And so I would comb them wet and then I would put these like 20 silver clips so that every hair on my forehead was controlled and covered. And then I would walk down Wooded Lane, which is about you know, 20 houses long, to the bus stop. And then right before I saw the other people at the bus stop, I would like swipe the clips out of my hair and put them in my bag. That was like the best I could do. So the vanity thing, vanity persisted. I just had a method that was a total pain compared to just using a blow dryer. So anyway, but you know, now I look at her and I think, God, you're like an iconoclast. Like you were so comfortable making your own calls. Like you really didn't cave to conventional wisdom or like sort of neighborhood norms, you know, like we went to Colonial Williamsburg for every spring break because my dad got free passes because he sold ad space and McCall's magazine and they advertised in there. And then one day we would go to Bush Gardens after we like made our trifold hats and, you know, candles. And she just didn't care. I mean, she was just unpersuadable. And I did. I mean, I was way more interested in making my kids happy and, and possibly like making them like me. Like she wasn't looking for that. She wasn't looking for this intimate mother-daughter relationship. And I really was. I was really hoping for that. I So it, that that's just a an awareness that I've has come upon me over all these decades of looking at her differently and thinking, you're very, you're very bold, Mary Corrigan. You're very true to your own values. And I think that's kind of impressive. It's time for a quick break, and then we'll be back with more of my conversation with Kelly Corrigan. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... 
toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. You have written about your dad a lot Mm. and talked about him, your relationship with him your process of grief, and you were famously close to him. And he was a very demonstrative parent with whom you felt, I think, very loved and secure, right? And I think sometimes it's easy for kids. I mean, I remember doing this myself. Like, this is the good parent, and this is the parent that doesn't get me, right? This is a fun parent, and this is the no fun parent. And do you think you see your mom differently since your dad has died? Yes. So my mom would say, uh, your father's the glitter, but I'm the glue, Kelly. It takes both. And, you know, you don't have to parent for a year before you start to notice, typically, some differences between what a mother does and what a father does. And over all that time, I actually found myself saying to Edward, like, your job is to make them feel smart, funny, and beautiful. You have the possibility of giving them a sense of self that I cannot give them, in my opinion. So I felt like, I almost wanted to repeat the pattern, which is like, I'll take the hits because I'm going to get them anyway, because mothers and daughters, it's like an intense thing. And it's totally fine because it all works out in the end. And I just want them to feel so good with you. And so don't worry about it. Like, you don't need to bring down the hammer. Like, I'll, I'll take that piece. And, you know, he brought down the hammer, like of all the times that the hammer needed bringing down he brought it down like 10, 15% of the time. And the rest of the time I took it partially because that I was there, I was in the house because you can write from anywhere and you can podcast from anywhere and you can even almost make a TV show from anywhere. So, but also partially because I'm stricter by nature than he is. I'm more of a warrior by nature than he is. And I was getting a different version of them than he was. And, you know, that those dynamics are just sort of unparsable. Like it's very, it's a soup that just will not be separated into component pieces. So there's no saying why or how it worked that way. But to this day, if something goes on in Clara George's life, I get a fuller, darker version of the story. And he gets kind of a cleaned up version. They've almost like, processed it with me. And so now they're telling it the second time in this way where it's almost in the rear view mirror where they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's totally going to work out. It just for a second there, I was really surprised. Meanwhile, the version I got was like, <laughs> and I don't even know what I'm going 
gonna do? I mean, I think I'm gonna have to drop out. And it's like, oh my God. Wow. Okay. Woo. And therefore, when we go to sleep at night, he says, they're fine. And I say, you're crazy. They're not fine. I, ju- I just talked to her. She cried for like 40 minutes on the phone. She's not fine. And he's like, yeah, but I talked to her at like four o'clock and she was fine. And it's like, I think he might be right, actually. And interestingly, Claire, who's 20, she's a junior at UVA, just had this little meltdown over the holidays. And then afterwards, we were sort of regrouping on it like a week and a half later. And I was like, you know, I just, to the extent that I can, I want to be useful to you so that you don't go through like a weeping fit again. And she said, in all her wisdom, oh, I don't think you stopping me from weeping ever again should be a goal. She's like, weepers gonna weep. Like, I'm a weeper. And so like, if that's your agenda to do something so that I never weep again, that's like a bad thing to have on your to-do list. I think you should cross it off. And I was like, God, you're so right. right. As mothers, we can feel like the perfect happiness of our loved ones is ours to achieve, right? Or at least strive for. Like we really love them. So we're going to make sure they don't feel sorrow or pain. But she's not putting that on you. She's not like, mom, please make sure I never have anything to cry about. That is not coming from her. Right. She's like, I'm definitely going to weep again. Like I weep, whatever. Like I'm a feeler. And she's totally comfortable with it. I was like, oh, well, that's great. That's great that you're comfortable with it. Maybe that could help me be comfortable with it. Because honestly, like I think for there was like a whole year where my whole goal in life was to achieve emotional autonomy, which was to say like, if Georgia is in a terrible mood, that somehow I could be in a fine mood. Yes. Yes. If Georgia's stomach hurt, that shouldn't make my stomach hurt. But it did. So like, once again, your listeners are like, this lady's nuts. I don't know why you're having her on here. Did she just say that when her kid's stomach hurt, her stomach hurt? She's a freak. And I concur. Like, that was a freakish behavior, but I can't defend it. I'm just confessing it. I don't think it's so freakish. I mean, that saying that a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child, I think that that's sometimes an assignment as much as a as a saying like that you're only allowed to be yes and i don't think we should say that with pride i really don't i really think we should stop each other when we say that to each other like on the one hand it's kind of an i know statement where it's like yep like it's hard it's hard to be happy it almost feels inappropriate to be happy if you have a very unhappy child it seems weird it's like But I don't think that we should aspire to that. I think we should aspire to emotional autonomy, if only because it's better for the kid. If even if you still want to orient yourself around your children, which is very understandable, it is better for your child for you to be like, kind of feeling some kind of equanimity. I think that's safer in a way, right? When I think I've seen and less of a burden, Like, it's a heavy thing for a kid to be like, now I told my mom how upset I was. Now she's upset. That's not helping. I think that there's a world in which they want you to sometimes provide the like, uh, relationships are tough. You know what I mean? When they're crying about the the group text where this girl was mean and what do I do about this? I think they want you to see them. And then I think they do sometimes want a container around this. Like, this too shall pass. This is 17. That's some hard stuff when you're 17 and it's going to be okay instead of, I'm in this with you and I can't believe how mean Sophia's being. I feel like they want you to take it less seriously than they are sometimes because it makes them feel safer. Totally. And, you know, things get serious. I mean, 
And now that I have a kid who's out into the world all the way through school and out into a job, and then a kid who's at the back end of college, there are some serious moments coming for your audience. Like there's big, big things that happen and there's real danger, you know? And I don't know. I wish I had like, I just wish I had taken it more lightly when it could be taken lightly so that when it got more serious, I just had a little bit more in the tank. I don't know. I mean, it all worked out in both cases and both, we had two kind of serious moments and they both resolved and, but they were much, much different than the kinds of things that I had suffered before. And they made those things look so stupid. Right. I guess the point is there's nothing you can do if you're listening to this and you have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. We're not saying like, here are the 14 things you need to do today so that you have a good relationship with your 22-year-old. No. Except hold it more lightly. (laughs) Yes. And with yourself. I mean, I I just feel like, like sometimes in my mind, here's a really specific thing to, to share. Sometimes in my mind, when I was worrying, I would imagine a viewfinder, you know, those old fashioned plastic toys where you depress the little thing and it rotates the slide disc to a different image. I would do that in my mind. I would imagine like right now on my screen in my mind is this situation with Clara, the situation with Georgia. And then I would say, okay, like this big world, there's a lot of scenes that I could be focused on. So like, let's push the button and see what comes up next. And I would just move them to the side and I would put my mom on the screen in my mind. And I would think, God, she's doing so well. She's been living alone for eight years. She still plays bridge three times a week. And I would just do a little accounting of how is she doing? And why don't I think about her for a minute? And then I would push the button again And I would think about Edward and his job and how he really loves working with persona and he's get such a kick out of Tony and I hear him on the phone and he sounds really energetic and, you know, and then I'd click it again and go to another thought and just try to put the one thing in context with some other things that also matter deeply to me that are kind of going okay. And that was how I could fall back asleep. Like if I woke up at 2.30 and I was ruminating about one of the girls. That's how I managed it. It was like, oh yeah, don't forget, go to the viewfinder, push the button. It's that little bit of space. It's the breath between the stimulus and the response. Yeah. And it's considering a broader set of topics. It's zooming out. It's like, you know, yeah, that's happening. Like there's a real thing and it's happening. And also like your mom's doing great. And also like Edward loves his job. And also like your body feels completely fine head to toe. And also, you know, yes. Oh, I think about it all the time. I think that's like a little tip I have is, or just a thing that I do that that it's helping me is to say, whenever I feel good to say, God, I feel good. And I say it all the time. Like if I'm alone in my house or if I'm down in my little closet office as I am right now, and I just do a body scan and everything feels great. I say, God, I feel good. Because, you know, if you've ever had like a backache or a migraine or period pain or, you know, whatever it is, it's all you can think about. If your nose is stuffed up and you can't breathe through your nose, it's all you can think about. And then like 99% of the time you can breathe through your nose, no problem. And you don't think about it at all. So I'm trying to give a little airtime in my mind to like, everything's sitting just right today. 
And no matter where we are, there is something else. It's an interesting way to look at it. Like, even if your kid is having a really hard time, your spouse is having a really hard time, you, there is that viewfinder with other things to take in with that where things are a little more okay. You can switch to that channel. You're not a bad person to do that for a little bit. That's available to you. You're more ready to support the person that you're worrying about when you shrink it down and put it into a broader context that is a service to them. So not only are you not a bad person, you're actually creating more capacity within yourself to help give them that calm energy that says more than anything, you're going to be okay. I've been talking to Kelly Corrigan. She is the host of the podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders. She is the host of PBS's show, Tell Me More. She is a four-time New York Times bestselling author. Kelly, tell us what you're working on now and where our listeners can find you. Sure. So the website is just kellycorrigan.com and it has everything there. And what I'm working on right now is we have this series of PBS episodes, which are also, they also run through the podcast. So you can listen to them or you can watch them. And they're all about being well. And so I got to talk to 10 like world-class scientists about what the component pieces are that lead to wellness or unwellness. So we talked about nature, nurture, sleep, exercise, nutrition, connection, spirituality, etc. And it was heaven. It was so satisfying for me to separate junk science from real science and to bring to them all these studies and headlines that they were like, yeah, that's not really the world's greatest study. Like, see there, see how it says there were 18 people in the study? Like, that's not really good science. Or you see there, you see how that study about like yogurt's good for your gut health and your gut health is critical to lowering anxiety. The funder of that study is a yogurt company. So it was really valuable to have like one-on-one time with these world-class scientists and say, what is real? What is reliable? And how do you do it? And also then really big questions about, are we over-diagnosing depression and anxiety? Are we over-medicating our population? Are we being taken in by big pharma once again on the heels of the painkiller scandal? What about our metabolic health affects our mental health? What about our genes is avoidable or suppressible? So it was really fantastic. And that will unfold in April in both the podcast and on PBS. But if they want to watch it on their computer, it's just pbs.org slash Kelly. I will put the links to all of that in the show notes. Kelly, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, it was a total pleasure. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.